Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. We read there at verse 11. But when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. Now we'll get into the following verses in just a few minutes, but it's worth it just to stop there and sort of say, wow, that's quite an opening, isn't it? You have two of the great personalities of the early church here in a conflict, in a confrontation. On the one side, you have the Apostle Peter, this great man of God, this man that God chose to essentially be the the leader of the group or the company of the Apostles. When you go through the Gospels, who who is it who's serving as a spokesman for the Apostles? It's almost always Peter. In the early church, who spoke on the day of Pentecost and represented the message of the Gospel? It was Peter. See, I have this man, Peter, perhaps the most famous, prominent, well-known Christian at the time. On the other hand, you have Paul, who at this point was fairly unknown. This was before any of Paul's missionary journeys. This was before Paul was mentioned in the same breath as Peter as a matter of course. You know, at this time, Paul was more famous for who he was before he knew the Lord than who he was as a Christian. When Paul walked by, people said, that's the guy who used to kill Christians before he came to the Lord. They didn't say, there's the great apostle and and missionary of the faith. And these two, we find in verse 11, were involved in a very dramatic confrontation. Now, I don't know how you do with confrontation. By nature, I don't do very well with it. By nature, I tend to avoid confrontation. Maybe some of you are just the opposite. Maybe some of you sort of look forward to it. It's your opportunity to make things right, to set things on the right course, and you're thankful for the opportunity, and you you have no problem stepping up to the plate and, well, just setting things right when they need to be set right, in your view. Maybe others of you are more of a disposition where you... It's just in your nature to more avoid conflict. I think this is a beautiful example of a conflict that was done right, a confrontation that was performed properly. And it's important that it was, because this was no trivial issue that was being dealt with in the early church. This was something critical. Now take a look at it again here, verse 11. But when Peter had come to Antioch, at this time Peter was living in the city of Jerusalem. And he had gone to visit the Christians in the city of Antioch. Now, of course, the first church that the Lord ever ordained to be planted in this world was planted in the city of Jerusalem, right? On the day of Pentecost, when the 120 disciples of Jesus, again, not just the 12, but also the other friends and associates of them, when they were gathered together on the day of Pentecost, we usually consider that to be the birthday of the church. There they were all gathered together, and the the Holy Spirit came upon them and brought together them all as a body. But I'll tell you something interesting about those 120 who were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. I'll tell you something interesting about the membership of the church at Jerusalem. They all came from a Jewish background, every one of them. Jesus was Jewish. The 12 apostles were Jewish. All of the 120 Christians who were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they were all Jewish. By the way, just as a sidelight, doesn't that show us how silly anti-Semitism is? And and how it has no place among Christians. 
Good heavens. To, to, for a Christian to be anti-Semitic, to be prejudiced against Jewish people. Well, you, you're, it's like chopping down the, the root of the tree that, that you're built upon. In any regard, the, the, the church in Jerusalem was virtually all Jewish in its makeup. So Peter was coming from that church and visiting the church in Antioch. Now, there was something different about the church in Antioch. Because in the church at Antioch, they had what we quite call a mixed membership. They had Christians from a Jewish background, but they also had Christians who had never grown up in a Jewish home. They were Gentile Christians. Now, in this day in the church, there was a big dispute, a big argument, a big theological and practical controversy going on. Because some of the Jewish Christians believed that the only way that a Gentile could be saved was by first coming under the law of Moses. You might think of it being the step approach to being a Christian. You know, the, the, the first step, if you're a Gentile, is to come under the law of Moses. Then once you're under the law of Moses, you can take the next step and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And... and these Jewish Christians would, would look at Gentiles and say, oh, we want you to come to Jesus. Please come to Jesus. And this is how you do it. First, you put yourself under the law of Moses. Then you take the next step and trust in Jesus for your salvation. Now, for the Jewish Christians, this made sense because they were already at that first step, right? They grew up on the first step. And so this teaching was around. So Peter comes from the church in Jerusalem visits the church in Antioch, and when he comes to the church in Antioch, there they all, there's, there's, there's Christians from a Gentile background, there's Christians from a Jewish background, and, and they're all mixing together, and they're all, but they know that out there, there's this teaching that those Gentiles need to come under the law of Moses, or they really can't be saved. It's not a true teaching. It's not what Paul's teaching. In fact, it's really not even what Peter's teaching, but it's out there. Some people believe it. So they're there. Peter's visiting. Verse 11, but when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Paul, you better have a good reason. What's your reason? How are you going to justify this? How are you going to justify publicly getting in the face of the apostle Peter? Well, he'll tell you. Look at verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came... He withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. My friends, you have the cast of characters in mind, okay? First of all, you have the, the church at Antioch. Here it is. It's a mixed church. You got Christians from a Jewish background. You got Christians from a Gentile background. Great. Praise God. They're all together loving the Lord. It's happening at the church at Antioch. And Peter is so excited about what the Lord's doing at Antioch, he goes up north and he visits him there. He makes the trip, travels north from Jerusalem, goes to the Syrian city of Antioch, and he's visiting, oh, and it's just great. And what does he do when he first gets there? They have a big potluck dinner. Come on, Peter's here. Everybody wants to meet Peter. Wouldn't you want to meet Peter if you were at the church at Antioch? Of course you would. You would say, Peter, tell us what it was like. Tell us what it was like to walk with Jesus for three years. I mean, we've heard all these stories, Peter. We can't believe they're true. Peter, did you really walk on the water? Peter, did, did, did you really tell Jesus not to go to the cross? You know, Peter, did you really argue with the other disciples all the time about who was the greatest? And Peter, oh, yeah, 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 it's all true, you know. And you, you, You'd want to be with Peter. 
So when Peter gets Anak, they have a big potluck dinner, and there they are, they're all around the table, they're eating, they're sharing, it's great. And who's at the table? Well, you got some Jewish believers there at the table, you got some Gentile believers, right? It's a mixed church. And everybody wants to spend some time with Peter, right? And so they probably mix up the seating arrangements from dinner to dinner because everybody wants to sit by Peter. He's the honored guest. But then something changed. What changed? Look at verse 12. Certain men came from James. Now again, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So these were people from Peter's home church in Jerusalem. Okay, Peter's in Antioch. And then a group of men from Peter's home church come into the door. They walk into the church potluck dinner. Or maybe they come to the, to the Sunday service and they say, well, we want to invite our brothers from Jerusalem to join us for the potluck dinner tonight. When that happens, suddenly there's a change in the seating arrangements. Because look at what it says there in verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came... He withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. As soon as these visitors from Jerusalem came, all of a sudden, Peter wasn't so friendly to the Gentile Christians in the city of Antioch anymore, was he? What did he do at the potluck? Now they had separate seating arrangements. Or, it could have been even worse than that, they might have even told the Gentile Christians, you aren't even invited. I tend to think probably they just changed the seating arrangements. They had the Gentile tables over there. And then they had the Jewish believer tables over here. Now, why did they do that? Because those certain men who came from Jerusalem, when they came, they believed that those Gentile Christians were not really Christians at all. Why? Because they had not surrendered to the law of Moses. They had not been circumcised. The men of them have not. And they hadn't put themselves under the law of Moses. They didn't eat a kosher diet. They didn't observe Jewish rituals. And so in the minds of those certain men who came from Jerusalem, those Gentile Christians weren't Christians at all. And good heavens, they're not going to sit down and eat at the same table with them and imply that they're Christians. After all, they keep a kosher table, don't they? And if you keep a kosher table, you can't sit down and eat with somebody who doesn't keep a kosher table. That's all there is to it. This was just Jewish ritual in that day. And so this is the situation that happens. They come in, and at the potluck potluck dinner, the, 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 the dynamic has changed completely. All of a sudden, when these certain men from Jerusalem come, Peter becomes a different man. Peter, who once opened up his arms to those Gentile Christians, now he says, uh, sorry guys, you... You sit over there. Can you imagine what kind of difficulty this would have caused? Can you imagine how you would have felt if you were one of those Gentile Christians? Say, well, wait a minute. These these guys don't believe I'm a Christian at all. And not only that, Peter seems to agree with them. I thought he was my friend. Can I tell you something? It gets even worse. Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. It wasn't just Peter. You see, when the certain men from Jerusalem came, Peter surrendered out of fear to their demands, even if they never made formal demands, he knew what they wanted. He surrendered to their demands. 
And following Peter, next was Barnabas. Barnabas. Do you know who Barnabas was? Barnabas was one of the pastors of the church at Antioch. He had led many of those Gentile Christians to the Lord. And now he's turning their back on them. Our own pastor Barnabas won't eat with us. He's acting like he doesn't believe we're real Christians. And then what happens next? Not just Barnabas, who is the pastor of the church, and by the way, also one of Paul's closest friends. And who else was it? It was also, verse 13 says, the rest of the Jews. The rest of them. In other words, all the Jewish believers at the church at Antioch were taken in with this. Peter went on the wrong course and everybody followed him, right? Isn't that tragic? Isn't that so often why Satan sort of levels his guns against leaders? Because Satan knew that if he could get, if he could get Peter to trip on this, well, then Barnabas would follow, and then, and then the rest of the Jewish believers there would follow. And all of a sudden, you've got a huge division here. You've got all of the Jewish Christians in the room on the one side saying, here we are. And they're pushing away all the Gentile believers on the other side, and there's one man in the middle, Paul. Paul's saying, you know what? I'm a Jewish Christian too, but I'm going to make a stand for the truth of the gospel. Now, why would Peter do this? Can I let you in on something? Peter knew better. He really did. Peter knew theologically that God had opened the door to the Gentiles to come into the church. He knew that. Do you know why Peter knew it? Because God used him to open the door. One day, Peter was praying on the rooftop of a house. You'll find this in the book of Acts. Peter was praying on the rooftop of his house. He was waiting for lunch, and I don't know, God gave him a vision while he was waiting for lunch. Right now, you're waiting for lunch, aren't you? God can speak to you right now, even while you're waiting for lunch. It can happen, folks. We have a miracle-working God. And so Peter was waiting for lunch, and God started speaking to him. And he saw a vision. And in this vision, it describes it as a sheet. In modern day language, you might say it was like a screen came down from heaven. A screen unrolled from heaven. And he saw these images on the screen of all these animals that were unkosher according to Jewish dietary rituals. You know, you had the the pork there, right? You had the hog. You had the, the side of bacon. You had the lobster over there. Lobster's not kosher. Can you imagine that? And so all these things that Peter couldn't eat. And and, and the Lord spoke to Peter and he said, Peter, I want you to rise up, kill these animals, and eat them. God was telling Peter to eat something that wasn't kosher. And you know what Peter said? One of the classic lines in the New Testament. He said, no, Lord. Now those are two words that don't go together, right? (laughs) No, Lord. Well, God had to repeat it a few times to get the message through to Peter. And the message wasn't so much about food, although it was related to food. The message was really about people. That Peter shouldn't consider people unkosher. Because as soon as the vision ended, there was a knock at the door. And who was at the door? But a messenger from a Jewish, uh, excuse me, from a Gentile centurion. A Roman soldier, a Roman officer. And this Roman officer wanted Peter to come to his house and preach him the gospel. And so right then, Peter said, well, Lord, I just had this vision, and now the knock at the door. Does that mean you want me to go and actually preach the gospel to a Gentile? But doesn't he have to become a Jewish man first? But what? He knew he was supposed to go with them because of the vision. 
He goes to the Jewish officer's house, excuse me, to the Gentile officer's house. Follow with me. You guys are understanding this even better than I am, right? I hope you're tracking with me. He goes to the Gentile officer's house. He preaches the gospel to the household. And they all trust in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. And you know what? Not a single one of them had submitted to the law of Moses. Not a single one of them had been circumcised, but God saved them. God filled them with the Holy Spirit. Peter said, can anybody say that these men shouldn't be baptized? God's worked in their life. God used Peter to open the door to the Gentiles because those were the first Gentiles that were officially brought into the church. And Peter opened the door to them and said, come on in. God wants you and you don't have to submit to the law of Moses. Come on, just trust in Jesus. Peter knew it in his head. But here in Galatians 2, he's going against it in his actions. Now, how could he do that? How could he know what's right to do and fail to do it? There's none of us like that, are there? <laughs> oh, we know that very well, don't we? We know exactly the kind of thing that, that, that Peter went through, right? You know the truth. You know it in your mind. Friends, we're men and women of frail flesh. Even when you know the truth, and even when you know it's right, it's hard to do it. You know, this sort of looks like the old Peter, doesn't it? Kind of looks like the Peter who said to Jesus, Jesus, don't go to the cross, you know, you you shouldn't talk like that. Kind of looks like the Peter who took out the the sword and cut off the the ear of the, the high priest's servant, doesn't it? Kind of looks like the Peter who denied Jesus three times at the fire, right? Friends, this shows us something pretty sobering and pretty powerful. That even though Peter was born again, even though Peter was filled with the Spirit, even though Peter was an apostle of God, even though Peter was mightily used of God, he still had to deal with the flesh, didn't he? Just like we all do. God has a plan for our flesh. And one day, it's to change it into a resurrection body. Until then, we have to daily crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And Peter just failed to do it at this point. He knew what was right, but he didn't do it. Paul talks about this struggle in Romans chapter 7. Paul knew what Peter was going through. He knew it in his own life. Paul says, For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, But how to perform what is good, I do not find. You know what he's talking about, don't you? So Peter was caught up in this difficulty of weakness. You know what I think is uh, also interesting about this whole occasion? Is if you notice here in verse 12, at the very end of the verse, it says, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. We don't know what it was about these men that made Peter afraid. I don't think that they were big burly guys who threatened to beat up people if they ate with Gentiles. I don't think that was it. Perhaps they were men of very strong personality. You know what that's like, don't you? Some people just have that bold, strong personality. And man, they walk into a room and things change and and people should kind of, you know, accommodate them. And maybe they were that kind of men. Perhaps they were men of great prestige and influence, and and Peter knew it, right? He knew these men. They were from his home church in Jerusalem. Perhaps they made veiled threats of some kind or another. 
You know, they had their own little group who believed that Gentiles had to put themselves under the law of Moses before they could be saved. Whatever it was, the desire to cater to these legalistic Jewish Christians was so strong that you saw it there in verse 13, that even Barnabas and even the rest of the Jewish Christian community in the city of Antioch was carried away with it. Barnabas, Paul's closest friend, all the Jewish Christians there, they're all carried away with it. And what was their sin? Look at it there in verse 13. It says, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. When Paul looked at their sin, they said, you know what, you guys are being hypocrites. Now what does it mean to be a hypocrite? You know, I think hypocrite is an accusation that gets thrown around a lot today, especially in our media and such. And a lot of the times when our media throws around the accusation of somebody being a hypocrite, it's really not founded at all. A lot of times, somebody will call somebody a hypocrite if they promote a standard and then fail to live up to that standard. Can I tell you that that's not being a hypocrite? I think every one of us tell our children that that we shouldn't lie. Child, you know, son, daughter, you shouldn't lie. Tell the truth. And every one of us as parents at one time or another has lied. Every one of us. Well, does that mean you're a hypocrite for telling your child that, that they shouldn't lie? No. It means that you're telling them to go for it on a high standard. And that you know very well that, that you don't live up perfectly to that standard, but you still keep the standard. You still still put it up in front of us. And when I don't tell the truth, then I'm wrong. When you don't tell the truth, then you're wrong. But we still have the standard of telling the truth. Now, being a hypocrite is if you tell your child, don't lie because daddy never lies as he never lied his whole life. Then you're being a hypocrite. Because you're pretending to keep the standard when you know very well you don't. Friends, it's not hypocrisy to have a high standard and to fail to reach it. It's hypocrisy to have a high standard, to have any standard, and to pretend that you keep it when you really don't. Because the word hypocrite in the original language that the Bible is written in actually means to speak from behind a mask, to be an actor. And you're acting like you keep something when you really don't. Now, that's exactly what Peter was doing in this situation. Peter was acting as if those Gentiles were not really saved when he knew full well that they were. He knew that they were saved, but he was treating them as if they were outside of the Christian community. That was hypocrisy. Peter was acting against what he knew was right, but more than that, he was putting on a false show about it. So Paul says that he withstood him to his face. Do you want to hear what the confrontation was like? Look at verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all. Wow. Do you see this? I love what Paul says there in verse 14. It really gives us a lot of clarity on this issue. At the foundation, this was not an issue about seating arrangements at the church potluck. It wasn't about table manners and being a good host. It wasn't even about being sensitive to another brother's conscience. At the foundation, this issue was, look at it in verse 14, it was about the truth of the gospel. 
You understand that, don't you? When you take a look at Gentile believers and say, you're not really saved because you haven't come under the law of Moses, what are you saying is essential for salvation? Coming under the law of Moses. That's the truth of the gospel, my friends. You're putting at issue here whether or not a man can be saved if he comes under the law of Moses or if he doesn't. You see, these Men from Jerusalem were saying loud and clear, you can only be right with God if you put yourself under the demands of the law of Moses. You must be circumcised. You must keep a kosher diet. You must observe the feasts and the rituals. You must separate yourself from those who do not. That is the only way to receive the message of salvation in Jesus. That is an issue of the truth of the gospel. And even though Peter wasn't saying it, By his example, he was denying the truth of the gospel. That's why it says in verse 14, I said to Peter before them all. What a scene that must have been. Right? There they are at the potluck. And they're they're dividing people up. I know if I was filming this, I know how I would set it all up. I would make Paul a little bit late to the potluck. Right? So when Paul comes in, the seating arrangement's been changed. There's, there's the, the Jewish believers, they're all together, eating their kosher table together. And, and off in the corner are the humiliated Gentile believers. Maybe some of them already left because they, they said, we don't have to be treated like this. And they feel humiliated. But here, are the, the, the Jewish Christians are following the certain men who came from Jerusalem. Oh, they're having a great time. And maybe Paul comes in late, and he comes in, and, and he sees that, that, well, they're keeping separate tables. And, and you know what? They're, they're probably going to have communion at this feast together. So what do they have? They have two separate tables of communion. Jewish Christians can't take communion with Gentile Christians. Why? Because the Gentile Christians aren't really Christians at all. They haven't put themselves under the law of Moses. You see the debate here? And so who's on one side? Well, you got the certain men from Jerusalem. You got Peter. You got Barnabas. You got all the Christians of Jewish descent there. They're over on one side. And over on the other side, you got the Gentile Christians. Who's in the middle? Paul. Paul says, I'm not going to stand for this. I'm going to say this to Peter in front of everybody. Man, that must have been hard. Must have been hard knowing who Peter was. Paul looks up at Peter and he says, Wow, I mean, this is Peter. This is the guy. This guy preached on the day of Pentecost. This is the guy who preached the Sanhedrin. I think it's possible that maybe even Paul was in the audience of the Sanhedrin when Peter preached at the Sanhedrin. And Paul said, This is Peter. How can I rebuke him publicly? must have been hard knowing who Paul was. Paul was a nobody at this time. As I said before, he was more famous for his murdering Christians before he was a Christian. When Paul walked around in church, people didn't know him. They said, there goes Paul. You know, he used to kill Christians before he came to the Lord. And when Paul did this, they said, well, here he is. He's killing them again. Look what he's doing to Peter. Oh, friends, it must have been hard when Paul saw all the people who were in agreement with Peter. There's his best friend Barnabas. He's on Peter's side. What's Paul going to do? Why did he do it? Friends, he did it because he knew what was at stake. My friends, and this is very important. This is why Paul made a public confrontation. 
because it was not a matter of personal conduct. It was not a matter of personal sin on Peter's part. If that was the case, do you think Paul would do it publicly? Not a chance. You wouldn't even be reading about it in the pages of the Bible if this was just a problem of personal sin on Peter's part or, or, or a personal conduct issue. No, this was a matter, look at verse 14, about the truth of the gospel. This is was the matter of proclaiming about how a man is made right before God. And Peter, by his actions, was plainly contradicting the truth of the gospel. And since he was making a public declaration of it, Paul had to make a public issue of it. So, wow, what a scene here. Do do you see this? Verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, and look at what he says. Here he gets in it. This is actually what he's saying. And you got to get the scene of this. This is Paul's statement here. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as a Jew, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? You know, the Bible's filled with some dramatic confrontations, isn't it? I think of Paul standing before uh, King Agrippa. This would come years after this occasion in the book of Galatians, where Paul is, is preaching the gospel to King Agrippa. And Agrippa says back, Paul, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. He said, I would to God that you would be a Christian, and just as I am except for these chains. What a dramatic confrontation. The, the prisoner before the king. Or how about the confrontation that that Nathan had, Nathan the prophet with David, where he confronts him over his sin with Bathsheba, and he brings up in a dramatic way, David, thou art the man. You kind of wonder how Paul's confrontation was here. I mean, was it strong? Was it bold? Did Paul kind of work up his preacher voice and say, if you being a Jew? No, I don't think so. I mean, again, it's just my personal opinion. I think Paul would have taken the Columbo approach. You see that? You know, the old movie show, the old television show, Columbo? You know, Columbo would question people and interrogate them, but he'd do it kind of playing dumb, you know? Just one thing I don't understand. Just, just one thing. And you go to Peter, Peter, you know, I, I see the seating arrangements here, right? There's just one thing I don't understand about this. Maybe you could clarify it for me, Peter. Peter, you're a Jew. But you live like a Gentile. I know, I've seen the way you live. You live like a Gentile. Yet you are pretending to be a faithful Jew right now, and you're compelling these Gentiles to live as faithful Jews. I still understand that, but maybe you could clear that up for everybody, Peter. Here they were all having a good time until Paul spoils the party. I wonder how the men from Jerusalem looked when Paul told everybody that Peter did not live according to the Mosaic law. When he told everybody that, that well, Paul said, Peter, I know, you eat bacon. <laughs> you eat lobster and ham. You don't keep a kosher table. I saw you in the seafood restaurant the other day. I saw it, man. You had that bib around your neck, everything. And now you're playing kosher. I just don't understand it. Maybe you can explain it to everybody. The men from Jerusalem, their jaws would have dropped. You mean Peter? Peter, Peter, he's the apostle. I mean, he's supposed to be closer to God than anybody. And he doesn't keep a kosher diet? I said, no, he's just putting this on right now for you. He doesn't do it every day. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt? His face gets all red. His heart starts being... He said, oh man, 
I don't feel like dinner anymore. You know, and how awkward and embarrassed everybody else feels. Oh, man, what a scene. And then there's Paul. You know, Paul was described as some people having a, a weak, contemptible presence. I bet his legs were shaking. Maybe there was a quiver in his voice. However Paul acted, his words were memorable because he recalls them exactly here. He says again, look at it in verse 14 again. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Now now Peter or some of the other Jewish people there could say, what do you mean, we're not compelling them to live as Jews? We're not making them. Well, yeah, you're just saying they can't be saved unless they do, right? You're not telling Gentiles that they have to come under the law of Moses. You're just saying, you go to hell if you don't. They could do whatever they want. We're not making them. But unless you do what we say, you're, you're not a believer at all. You're not saved. Of course, they were making them do it. And you know, as we get on to the following verses and see more of what Paul said and how he develops this brilliant statement, so memorable that it's stuck in Paul's mind after the fact, and he could recount it word for word. I mean, Paul remembered. This was so memorable, Paul. And as we get into that, well, we'll have to do that. Don't have time this morning. The next time we're together here that we'll go through verses 15 through 21 and see this amazing speech of Paul's before Peter. It's okay, you can read ahead. There's no problem with that. But I want to kind of fast forward and ask, how did this whole confrontation end up, right? I mean, if you've ever done confronting people, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? Sometimes people's hearts are beautifully soft and receptive to the confrontation. And you do it right and you do it in love and they say, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. And even if they don't say it at the moment, maybe the next day or the next week, they say it. They say, let's get this right and let's walk together. Or maybe you've had confrontations that go the other way. You confront somebody with something and you know what? Their their heart just becomes more hard. And they don't want to deal with it. They they don't want want to submit to the confrontation. Well, we do know how this ended up in the long run. Because you know what? After all this occasion, in Acts chapter 15... Peter is preaching Paul's gospel. I mean, check it out. Turn back in your Bible. We're done in Galatians 2. Turn back uh, several pages to Acts chapter 15 and read it with your own eyes here. Because this issue wasn't finished in Galatians chapter 2. For, for years after this, the church dealt with it until it was finally settled by a council of the apostles in Acts chapter 15. I mean, you, you can get the feeling because it's a very similar kind of situation. Look at it. Acts chapter 15, verse 1, where it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Right? That's the same issue that, that was going on before in the church of the Galatians. Now look at it here in verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. I mean, finally, they were going to have a big council in Jerusalem and settle this question. And look at what Peter says at this whole council, verse 6. So the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, 
Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Isn't that glorious? I mean, the confrontation worked. I don't know if Peter's heart was changed right then. I don't know if it took a day or a week, but it worked. The gospel was preserved. And God used this very awkward encounter in Antioch for everybody's good. You know why it happened? Because God's hand was upon it and because Paul was willing to do something that was totally right but uncomfortable. Well, friends, let me kind of conclude with that point. We've talked about a lot this morning, haven't we? I want to conclude with that point. Are you willing to serve and honor Jesus Christ? Are you willing to stand for his truth even when it's uncomfortable? Now, if you won't let your walk with the Lord crowd into your comfort zone, are you really much of a follower of him at all? Now, I, I like to surf, and when, the, when winter comes around, that's when the best swells come in this part of California. And so when those winter swells come, it gets cold out in the water, you know? And a lot of times the best time to go surfing is early in the morning. So, you know, there, there's been times when I'll get up before dawn and drive for 45 minutes or an hour and get out to the surf spot while it's still dark out, and get dressed, you know, in the wetsuit out when it's all cold outside. And then you, you paddle out in the water. The water's so cold that when that wave crashes over you, when you're paddling out, you get this stinging ice cream headache, you know. But you don't want to wear one of those hoods because that looks kind of lame, you know. But you, you, and you know what? If the waves are good, you don't care at all. You say, look, this is uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable being cold. It's uncomfortable getting up so early. It's uncomfortable changing out in the cold air. It's uncomfortable doing all that. Waves are good. It's worth it. Is Jesus Christ worth it to you for you to endure some discomfort for his glory, for his honor? If, if he's not, then he's not much of a Lord to you, is he? Friends, we've got to be willing to serve and honor Jesus Christ even when it makes a sacrifice in our comforts. Let's pray, God. Helps us to do that. It takes a lot of grace from him to do it. So let's ask him for it right now.